0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the Smug Film podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com/smugfilm where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For just $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all the past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or smugfilm.com or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month through patreon.com/smugfilm. For $5 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes, plus we will do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Your movie, your small business, how cool you are, your Twitter handle, whatever it is, we'll plug it. For $10 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes, Plus, we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on every single episode of the show. That's four episodes a month. That's an incredible deal. So once again, the URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now, on to the show.
1: I'm just going to talk about Casablanca.
2: I'm only here for the Blancs, <laughs> The Matt Mont- LeBlancs? Yeah. Who's now, they announced he's uh, hosting the new Top Gear on BBC. Really? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. He's the co-host with some other British guy. I
1: knew somehow this year something was going to happen with Matt LeBlanc. I felt it in the air. <laughs> you ever just like feel it, you
2: know? The, ba- the hairs on the back of your neck were
0: tingling. Yeah. And- England Because I remember
1: when like all the crazy stuff was coming about, out about like this actor did that, this actor did that. Like a couple weeks ago, I was like, Matt LeBlanc's going to be the next one. <laughs>
2: Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Yo. And Jenna Ipkar. Yo. This is our Valentine's Day episode. So for all you listening who uh, have love in your life, this is the episode for you. And even if you don't have love in your life, we got some movie picks for you as well. We're going to cover the gamut. Whether you're going to be watching with somebody or watching without somebody, We got movie picks for you for the V-Day, which is coming up just around the corner. All right. So uh, any of y'all got a Valentine's Day pick for uh, the listeners at home, something they're going to enjoy on that day?
0: You know, Valentine's Day, I was thinking about this for a while, and I realized that all of my favorite romance movies are about love lost, (laughs) disappointment, and like heartbreak. Uh
1: Are there any romance movies that really aren't?
0: There totally are. Because I also sat they, down and They, was they like, must
1: be like completely out of my jurisdiction. Because like my whole concept of a romance movie is that it's very depressing at the end.
0: Right. And that's that's what I realized too. And then I was like, maybe that's why I'm a miserable person.
2: Y'all need to watch more chick flicks and rom-coms.
0: I do watch... Occasionally I will watch some chick flick if there's like a really attractive guy in it.
1: Rom-coms I don't really consider particularly... It sounds weird, but like I don't
2: consider them particularly romantic. See that's it's a, usually just like an obstacle course. That's a really good point because uh, as I was trying to figure out movies, I would be like, "Oh, so I married an axe murderer." That's a great movie. And then if that I is think, a great movie, it's wonderful. But if I think to myself, I'm like, "How much of that movie is actually romantic?" Like maybe like five percent, ten percent.
1: Yeah, the rest of it is him
2: yelling at the kid with the head like an orange on a toothpick. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> the best part of that movie. If I'm picking a Valentine's Day movie, I'm not going to go for that, and I can't go for that, even though technically the. The plot is centered around, you know, a couple. So it, it can be hard to pick them sometimes. So what's a uh, what's a depressing one that you like, Jenna?
0: I love The Science of Sleep. And that's why like when I think of romantic movies, that, that's one of my go-tos, which is the Michelle Gondry movie with um, Charlotte Gainsborough and Gail Garcia Bernal. And it's really about sort of unrequited love. He sort of sees this girl and he comes up with this fantasy of who she is. And they have this sort of brief flirtation, and he, he has all of these really like you know high ideals of what their relationship's gonna be like, and and how wonderful and magical it is. And in the end, she's kind of like, ah, I'm just not that into you, you know. She's like, you're not really my type. And then it's like that sort of heartbreak of like of being let down, and and like that that movie, it's like it's such a I think something that everyone goes through to some degree. And then also on top of like all of this sort of fantasy buildup stuff, which I think that like a lot of people do, especially after in in relation to all the rom-coms that come out, you know, like I can't tell you how often, like even online or in person, obviously, you know, with, with, with friends, but like people who, who bring up this idea of like, you know, how do I know if it's real love? Like what is real love? Is it what I see in the movies? Is it what I read in books? And you're like, well, (laughs) You know, so I thought that that was pretty uh, sort of universal theme that was very interesting and very well done and well acted, well written. And that movie kind of got like mixed reviews, which I think the reason why is because it felt like it looked like it was going to be an indie love movie. And it wasn't. It was this movie about being let down. And I I remember
2: it being kind of hard to follow towards the beginning, like uh, the stuff where it's like his dream fantasy stuff and the real stuff. And like, I just I didn't get into it too much. But uh, people that love that movie really fucking love it. Like it's, it's one of those, you either key into the aesthetic or you're just, you know, out the door with it.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
2: Yeah. All right. So one pick for me, which is a, you know, a feel good one, you know, not a, you're not going to be sad afterwards. Like Jenna's pick, (laughs) I would go with, uh, I'm going to put these two hand in hand because, you know, it's a similar time period. Uh, both are equally pretty feel good with obstacles along the way. Would serve as like a pretty good double feature if you're gonna blow through two movies on Valentine's Day with your lady or your man or who whomever, whomever else who am ever else who am ever else and uh, that would be Moonstruck and Roxanne. I would count- oh, I love Roxanne. Roxanne's fantastic, and that's one that people kind of forget about in yeah. the uh, Steve Martin filmography,
1: which is weird because it was very much like a, a TV staple for a long time. Oh yeah, it was always on.
2: Comedy Central, damn near every day, it yeah. felt like. In the Airheads era of Comedy Central. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: one where he has a nose?
2: Yep. That was it's, a weird
0: one. Well, it's Cyrano... <laughs> the one
2: where he has the nose? It's Cyrano de Bergerac. Right. Which is a beautiful play, by the way. I
0: don't yeah. know if
1: anybody
2: read the, the play, but it's just beautifully written. And it's a really good modern version of that. Like, it, it works. Even, like, the staging, like, there's, like, a first scene where he has, like, a fight with guys... Where he's like walking down the street and he has his tennis racket and he gets into a fight with guys and they shoot it like they they shoot it like almost like a, a stage production like it's very yeah. it's very wide and it's like a lot of like a uh, you know flourishing movements the whole thing is like that yeah and it's always sort of like in a wide open
1: space with a proscenium arch of stuff around it yeah it's it's really well shot really good movie wasn't well, so it where the script. song came from or at the very least the song was in it I don't remember it I don't it in remember
0: it, it on, in it. A-
1: I remembered it being over like the credits. This is like when I was very convinced for years that the soundtrack to the Dracula 3000 trailer or Dracula 2000 trailer was Rob Zombie, Dracula, and then it wasn't. (laughs) And I know that's not a very interesting story for you, but like, you know, it was really just in my head. It was, Dracula was playing. And then I watched the trailer again, like a couple months ago. I don't know why. And it was like nowhere to be seen. I went on this big hunt to try to find the version of the trailer that had Rob Zombie in it. Never found it. It doesn't exist. No. It never happened. Some things, you know, you
2: just, I guess you just put them together. Yeah. And then you just went and listened to Dragula for like a month or two, the song. (laughs) Yeah. A couple months. I I went through a big Rob Zombie phase, as you probably remember. Yep. You were playing Doom and listening to Rob Zombie for a good like three or four months. Yeah. I was (laughs) living that pre-Columbine life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah. yeah, Roxanne is great. Yeah, wonderful Jen, um, film. And Moonstruck, let's not uh let's not knock Moonstruck in 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 the appraisal of uh Roxanne because Moonstruck is a hell of a pick. And do you like Moonstruck? Is that important to you, family wise, as an Italian American John D'Amico? No, I don't care Nothing. about Moonstruck. Really? Jenna Jenna was about to say a thing. What were you gonna say, Jenna?
0: No, I don't want to undercut Moonstruck right now. I was gonna say, John, what's your best horror movie romance pick?
1: Ooh. That's interesting. Ooh, that is really interesting. Off the top of my head, I would say May. Ooh, I love May. Yeah. That's a good one. May, but I mean, you know, there are so many. I mean, there's Carrie. Carrie's a tremendous... uh, There's Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein actually is sort of really a beautiful little love story at the end there when he blows up the lab because she's disappointed in being alive again. So he kills everybody to to save her.
0: That's romantic.
1: Yeah, it actually is super romantic. (laughs) Uh, Also, everybody's mad gay in that movie, so you have the romance between the... The two uh scientists in that one too. Yeah, but my my thoughts keep coming back to May.
2: May is really you good. That? No, it's May. Why don't you take this one? All right. So May is about a uh, you know, very introverted, quiet girl who I guess in the movie is she supposed to be like in her like mid-twenties or so. Yeah, I, I think like mid to late twenties. Yeah. And uh She's like movie-aged, you know? Yeah. Like that floating. It, not a, young, not old movie age. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. There's a weird like because it'll be like a you know an actress in her mid 30s playing like 25. Yeah, and like it because like some parts of it have amorphous. this like
1: high school vibe, mm-hmm. and then these other parts have this like post grad vibe. Yeah, you know. So anyway, isn't she, she on a
0: campus for some of it? No, high school, university.
1: No, she definitely doesn't. She meet him. No, that's a park where she meets him. Yeah, with the cigarettes. This is like Dragula all over again. This
2: is Dragula all over again. Maybe I'm going senile. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she she has this doll from her childhood that uh, she like essentially believes is like real and tr- super spooky, super spooky. This is like can't Kate, stress that enough. And I can't stress that this is very much pre Annabelle and all that. Yeah. And uh, so- post Twilight Zone. So don't go crazy about yeah. it. They created the <laughs> idea of a doll. <laughs> right. But it does look similar to Annabelle, the doll. A little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. And, uh, Let's she n- see how long we can stretch this explanation of this movie, because we're like not even 10 minutes into the movie now. Let's explain May for the next uh, majority of the episode. But um, yeah, basically, she never outgrows the doll, keeps the doll, and it becomes this sort of like a Pandora's box thing with the doll. Without giving too much away, she's trying to protect the doll, and the doll is becoming increasingly fragile. Meanwhile, she's in love with this, like, hunky, cool dude yeah, who, like
1: little by little she starts to stalk him and freak him out a little more like at first he's all like oh I'm into the dangerous girls and then it turns out she's really like a lunatic yeah <laughs> so he spends the rest of
2: the movie trying to back away from her okay, she's so not she's not love? getting the hint at all and she's like stalking him and it's a it's an unrequited tragic but the romance. ending is beautiful and the gorgeous, ending is like
1: gorgeous there's a lot of different ways you can take the ending and several of them are uplifting yeah but you know the the greatest horror romance still is the x files Ah. The other day, the movie? I was, no the the whole run of it. The uh, other topical. day, I was watching the one um, where they pick. have the the movie made about them, and the um, the like screenwriter is shadowing them the whole time, and they have their three way phone calls where the two of them and Skinner are in bubble baths.
0: Yeah, that sounds so familiar. But the end of
1: that one is so beautiful. It's they um they got the the bureau credit card because Skinner is so happy with how the movie came out about them. And they're sitting in this, like, set, um, this this movie set of a graveyard, talking about how, you know, like, disappointed about this and that in their life. And then finally, you know, Scully's like, we're relatively young, and we have the the uh, bureau credit card. Let's go out and do something fun. And they walk out of the, the, like, Ed Wood-looking graveyard holding hands, and all the spirits of the dead people in the graveyard, like, rise up and just start dancing. And it's this very weird... You know, you have to be in season seven to get, get away with something so <laughs> um, non-literal. But like, it's just such a beautiful and, and funny and, and romantic little end.
0: So that's hashtag John D'Amico relationship goals.
1: Oh, Scully, I'm not worth her. I'm
0: not a man no alive is. worth Scully. No one is. Everyone's like, you know, it's kind of annoying me. Everyone's like, oh my God, she looks so good. Like she must have had worked in And I'm like, no. Like and when she did X-Files, she was like 22. Like she was like a child. Yeah, but she just had that terrible haircut and that, those awful pant suits. She was and
1: mad hot in, in X Files. Looked
0: great still, but now at forty-seven, she is like insanely attractive.
2: Yeah, she's ridiculous. Reject- she's and a you're fucking like, goddess.
0: Oh my god, how is this possible? To
2: the point where she's almost difficult to look at. Yeah, she's
0: stressfully hot. Oh my god. Yeah.
2: She's the definition of stressfully hot.
0: That's why she wasn't on Hannibal as much, because she was just <laughs> too good looking. It was like if her plus Mads Mickelson, like no way. And they still offered her half
2: as much as Duchovny to come back.
0: But she took more, though. I, yeah, think. I she, she bargained them. But yeah. I, like,
2: I like that term stressfully hot. That should be like a like hashtag us stressfully hot. Just name actresses or actors that are just so hot that it's actually you difficult know stressfully to look hot?
0: at them. Alain Delon. Yes.
2: yes oh totally yes. even as a straight man yes <laughs> oh yeah.
0: yes of course
1: but no rosario dawson in men in black 2 is so hot that i once had to walk out of the room in the middle of it because <laughs> i was getting stressed out because you're looking at her for like that long and you're like i cannot fucking take this yeah and you just leave
2: all right so that stressfully hot send it to smug film yeah hashtag stressfully hot we want to hear your picks for that please
0: well, actually, you know what I was going to say, your, your talk of uh, obsessive stalking um, horror romance, my, my pick for horror romance would be Play Misty for Me.
1: Oh, good
2: pick. Nice. Because
0: that's a good, and then you got Clint Eastwood to look at, so.
2: Yeah. <laughs> who, who isn't stressfully hot.
0: No, but. He's but hot. Comfortably hot. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> comfortably hot. <laughs> Paul Newman might have been.
0: Oh, yeah, sometimes.
2: But not all the time.
0: In the good lighting where his eyes are like just so blue. That yeah. You can...
2: And I'm sure in person, very stressfully hot. Yeah. 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 Or whenever he was leaning up against something.
0: Whenever <laughs> mm-hmm. in any of
1: his moments, he just like had to get a quick lean in. <laughs> then you're like, all right, I guess I'm gay now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Another uh, horror romance pick that I want to get out there is uh, My Boyfriend's Back. Have you guys ever seen that one? Oh, that's a fun one. Early 90s. It kind of fell into that period where like. You know, the people that are big on 80s movies, they're not going to give it credit because it, it falls out of the, the, uh, the, the window. Yeah. yeah. But the 90s people aren't going to give it too much credit because it feels very 80s. So it's, yeah. it's caught in the middle. I think it came out like 90 or 92 or so. And that was one that was on HBO all the time back in the day. And uh, one that I, I became obsessed with when I was a kid. I think I've seen that movie like 10, 15 times. It's just very watchable. And um, for a very silly, campy, deliberately like EC Comics-esque film, also directed by, uh, I should say, Bob Balaban from My the boy. Christopher Guest movies and from uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Who
1: also directed a lot of Eerie Indiana which had a few of those
2: like yeah. wonderful horror romance stories he, in it, and he directed that movie Parents with, uh, I think, yeah. Randy Quaid. Uh, yeah, he, he and of had, course the Godfather. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know the whole Godfather trilogy was. Yeah, was he directed those? <laughs> yes, and uh, and the conversation, the conversation, Apocalypse Now, um, Jack, One for the Heart. Yes, yes. And uh, Dementia 13 Tetro. I want to say Tetro Tetro, the black and white one. That was also youth without youth. Yes. Yes. And uh, all Bob, all Bob Balaban. But uh, yeah, Bob Balaban, you know, people don't really remember remember him for like these campy little movies that he did. They mostly remember him from being in Christopher Guest movies, but he's pretty damn good director. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman turns up. Matthew Fox turns up. Oh, yeah. A couple, uh, Austin Pendleton from uh, The Mend and uh, and other stuff. My dude. He he gives a nice little performance. And for a very campy, like extremely silly film, the ending is like, you could cry over the ending. And I have, I'll, I will put that out there. I cried over this campy movies ending. It's genuinely like dark and twisted, but it kind of takes you at, back out of it. Like it goes. That's the
1: trick with horror romance, right? Yeah. You know, like every now and again, it's. Because
2: it pitches so high, mm-hmm. it, it's like opera. Like every now and again, it'll just get you. So that movie, yeah, for the 90% of it, it's campy, it's silly. And then that ending, oof, like you you will cry. I, I don't want to put a full guarantee. You might cry. You might cry watching this we movie. We will make you cry. <laughs>
1: we, we will come to your house.
2: Yeah. We'll make you cry while you watch this movie. Okay. We'll We're give you a, cut, we'll cut give a, a, Indian burns and then cut onions. Cut onions in <laughs> front of you, yeah. <laughs> John will cut onions. I'll give you Indian burns, we'll and make then we'll you make cry, you cry, nerd. Yeah, fucking nerd. It's a guarantee. <laughs> We're gonna make you cry, bitch. And so my boyfriend's back. Check that <laughs> film out. And uh, that's my pick. Can yeah. I hammer you
1: all with one that it's weird that we've never talked about? What? It is still weird that we've actually never sat down and talked about Casablanca. Never seen it. Really? Are you serious? Never seen Casablanca. You piece of shit.
0: Yeah. I've seen it. You've that's been my running
1: de- what, like 70 episodes of a movie <laughs> podcast and you never saw yeah, Casablanca? That's my
2: deep, dark secret. Never seen, seen it. I've seen
1: Casablanca every year of my life because it's my mom's favorite movie and it's my dad's favorite movie. So every year we had, when I was growing up, like a yearly watch of Casablanca. And it was fascinating to watch that way because like as I got older, I understood more and more about it. Like when I was like 16, then finally you get the whole thing with the Vichy France water he throws away at the end. And it's like a weird way to watch a movie because then it becomes this like lifelong puzzle that you just put a few pieces in
2: every year till finally you get it. Yeah, I like that actually. I, you know, I, I'm really happy that my parents did a similar thing where they would show movies that were technically appropriate. Like maybe they're rated PG-13 or R, but there's nothing that's really going to fucking haunt me. And they would show me movies like that that I guess I wasn't ready to get everything about, but I would get enough of it. And then if I saw it again, I would get a little bit more when I was older. I think that's a good way to show movies to kids.
0: Well, Casablanca is every reference in the fucking world. Like, that's what Casablanca is good for, especially if you're young. It's like it gets referenced. It's like the Bible. It's just everywhere.
1: You could argue that just in terms of like witty dialogue, I mean, that script can hold its own against anything and they come so fast and there's like no duds and there's all these minor ones that you forget about like the whole thing with um Claude Rains is when he's shutting down the casino and they run over to give him his winnings like all these tiny little beats that you like forget about because there's just so much in that movie that's so perfect and so beautiful and so funny without being like heavy about being funny and so sad without being like heavy about being sad I mean like um the, the Bogart line, I remember every detail. The Germans, you wore blue, the Germans wore grays. I mean, that's like a short story, that line. That's one of the most beautiful lines I've ever heard. That, uh, God, that movie is just fundamentally... Uh, maybe the reason we don't talk about it is, like, there's nothing you can say about that movie that the movie doesn't say for itself. Mm. That is just... It's the only movie that I judge people on. The only one. <laughs> if they don't like
2: it, yeah. they like, fuck you. And
1: I won't be like, you're an idiot or something. But, like, if, if they don't like it, I'll think, you are not going in this for the same thing I'm going in this for. right? Like, because it's such a success on every, on every level. And there's no way for me to, to not think of it that way, you know? So it's, it's the only one where I'm like, if, if you don't, if you don't like this movie, then you're just, you're just not going into movies for the same things I am. Cause it's emotionally fucking magnificent and the ending of it. And that's an ending you could only do during wartime people forget about Casablanca that when Casablanca was made, they were still pretty sure the allies were going to lose the war. Mm. It's a, it's a very difficult historical point to get back to, but that was, you sat there and you're like, well, we might lose Europe. And, uh, you know, there's a pretty good chance we are going to lose Russia. And there's a pretty good chance we're going to lose Britain. And there's a pretty good chance that in 45, it's going to be the United Nazi republics and America. And that's what's left of the world. So the the ending of that movie, I, I think if you made that movie in any other era, it would have ended the opposite way, because it's like the only romance that tells you flat out some things are more important than a romance, which is such a just a, an honest appraisal of the world. I can't say enough about how much I love that movie. I never talk about it because, you know, it's like trying to talk about the Beatles. Like, what can you say that they don't
2: say already? <laughs> right.
0: I don't think I can say anything after you just said how much you judge people over it. I like the movie. I didn't dislike it by, by any means. But it's but, not like, I mean, it it's not is, that important to you. I, you know, I've only seen it once. So I'll say that. I only saw it once and it was years ago. And so I, I'm like scrambling to remember what I what I liked about it. From what I can sort of remember though, I remember not really buying that they were that in love. But I don't know, you know. <laughs> But it's not that, I don't know. I just didn't really, I didn't buy Bogart's character as much. But I also. I don't even was, have a
1: response to that, to be honest. It was so
0: long ago. So, oh, well, maybe I have to watch it again. I don't, It didn't take away from it's my It's like enjoyment. the only
1: one that I'm that way with. But like, I can't even, I can't even <laughs> respond to criticism about it.
0: It's. I know what you mean about the Beatles, though. I it's just, I, I. I definitely understand that part. It's like when people are like, well, but then you only had like five good songs and you're like, uh, I can't even I'm answer bad. it. You know, you
1: can't even do <laughs> it. Yeah, I definitely got to see that What's one. What's super I- funny about Casablanca, though, is it's Michael Curtiz who was directing since the uh, 20s and he has like a body count higher than like anybody. I mean, he has a body count of like a dictator. You know, he killed, what was it, like four people in Noah's Ark as right. extras in the soundstage during the flood scene And then he killed so many horses during the Charge of the Light Brigade that they formed the ASPCA to literally stop him. (laughs) And Errol Morris punched him in the face because there's something like 700 horses died during that movie. And then his best movie, beyond a doubt, through and through, his absolute masterpiece was like three weeks in a soundstage. Yeah. Like he drove to work, he did it, and he left at the end of the day. And then his legacy is absolutely defined by that nothing else he ever did came close captain blood as great as it is doesn't come close light brigade doesn't come close nobody just sit there and pretend that that stuff really does
0: king creel comes i'm kidding
1: (laughs) Oh, did he do that
0: yes that was the only that's the only good elvis film
1: wow it's
0: because it was michael Curtiz.
1: you think he killed elvis trying to make it maybe he would have
0: maybe he went to the army immediately afterwards so he tried
1: Maybe, they, maybe he fled to the army because of fucking Michael Cattis. <laughs> Goddamn lunatic.
2: So whereas I haven't seen Casablanca, I have seen a uh, very good kind of, it gets forgotten about Woody Allen movie called Play It Again, Sam, where oh, he, yeah. he plays a character who's obsessed with Casablanca and Bogart in particular. You've seen Play
1: It Again, Sam. Oh yeah. And you never deigned to watch Casablanca <laughs> Here's you're however many
2: fucking years on life. I've seen Play It Against Sam like five or six times. <laughs> I mean Play It Again Sam is really good. <laughs> it's really it is really good. And it was based on his stage play, which he did with uh Keaton and uh, Tony Roberts and uh This is of course Michael Keaton in the bat suit. Yes. Michael Keaton in the bat suit. Uh not Diane Keaton. Certainly and, not. Certainly not. And uh the it's, famous Woody Allen collaborator, Michael Keaton. Yeah. When look, when people like think of like the feel-good Woody Allen movies, you know, usually they go to Annie Hall as like the default, but I, I actually like Played Against Sam better than Annie Hall. Uh, I do too. I think it's a stronger film. I think Annie Hall, you know, we've talked about it before, but obviously one of the great stories of a movie being saved in the editing room and uh, turned into something really important, really great, and nothing to knock Annie Hall whatsoever. But I think as far as a film and uh, I'm sure even Woody Allen would agree because, you know, he's he's biased over his own directing work in general. And uh, he he did not direct uh, Play It Against Sam. He only wrote it. But uh, Play It Against Sam it just works better. It's just a solid film. You hit all the same fun parts from Annie Hall, but it's just not bogged down by it being a, kind of a, a collage of sorts. It really feels like a solidly put together, conceived through line film. There's
1: there's another great um, Casablanca semi-remake. It was an episode of Red Dwarf. Did you ever see it? No. <laughs> Where um, Lister is trying to teach Crichton, the robot, like the value of lying through watching C- Casablanca. Mm. And it actually really, it, it's this sort of like poignant lesson about like sometimes like the greater good. And, and it, it's really. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. It, it's, it's better than probably any of the Star Trek episodes that tried to do the Let's teach an android about human emotions. So. Yeah, yeah. I like that.
0: Well, in the vein of Casablanca, it makes me think of um to have and have not, which I, I really liked, but I think mostly just because Bogart and Bacall have such great chemistry on screen in that. And like in general, like their movies sometimes are sort of hit and miss, but just to see them both interact, like I that I appreciate. That I can you can like see it.
1: Do you know the story with uh how to have and have not came to be?
0: Uh no, I guess not.
1: To Have and Have Not came about because of a bet Howard Hawks made with Hemingway. Yeah? Yeah, he said, I can make a movie. Oh, you mean the book?
0: Oh, in the movie, okay. Yeah, he
1: said, I can I can make a movie of uh, the worst thing you ever wrote. <laughs> and Hemingway was like, well, the wor- worst thing I ever wrote was To Have and Have Not. It was a piece of shit. So Hawks is like, all right. And then he hires William Faulkner to write the screenplay, who <laughs> was Hemingway's big rival. And that's how it became uh, what it was.
0: Well, that's perfect. Which is
1: funny because when you think about it, it makes perfect sense because both of them were so hard to adapt in such different ways that maybe when you just put Faulkner and Hemingway together, you get like a normal sentence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i put Lauren Bacall on my hashtag uncomfortably hot.
1: Bacall never quite did it for me in that way. I mean, I'd want to roll with her. Like, I'd want to rob a bank with her.
0: Actually, you know what? I watched this recently because there is a... Um In New York City at Lincoln Center, they're doing a uh, whole film review of Jane Birkin and Charlotte Gainsborough right now. And I watch Slogan, which is the, uh, like, I want to say like 1970 movie, which is the movie where uh, Serge Gainsborough and uh, Jane Birkin met.
2: Hmm.
1: He was such a creep. He was such a creep. I love him, but he was such a creep.
0: Here's the thing about Ballad of
1: Melody Nelson. (laughs)
0: Oh my god! I'm gonna go see Charlotte Forever. If you guys wanna, if anyone is listening and lives in New York City and wants to stalk me, I'm gonna go see Charlotte Forever on Friday. Oh, I guess this comes out too late. Ah, yeah. um, sorry, nerds. that's the one where he's he's uh, <laughs> take
1: that shit bags.
0: <laughs> that's the one where he's uh, romancing his daughter. But
1: oof, that's a classic Klaus Kinski move.
0: Slogan was really interesting because it's the so the all right. This is a movie where uh, you know they both met. And it's this love story between a guy who is this sort of sleazy ad guy. He actually is a commercial director and all the commercials are really hilarious. I have to say it's like, it's like Putney Swope style. Oh,
2: I was about to say, yeah. Yeah.
0: They're really good. And then like his office is this like Lucite 60s, like wet dream. It's amazing. And then.
1: That made me so uncomfortable. What? Lucite 60s wet dream. (laughs) I was trying to. That's such a a visceral phrase right
0: there. That's the name of my, my porn tape. But, um, (laughs) Jane Birkin, I think, is uncomfortably hot, whereas Serge Gainsbourg is like he is someone who's so unattractive that he but he holds himself so attractively. And I don't know what it is. He's a fuckable hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess because he wears his like beautifully tailored suits, which I think all men, if you want to look good in a suit, just look at what Serge Gainsbourg did with suits. Beautiful. I mean, I can't think of a guy it wouldn't work on. And he had that like French, I don't give a fuck while I smoke this cigarette and look down at you, even though I'm shorter than you, like, (laughs) like look, and there's something really attractive about him. But that movie was so cute. And and part of why, and even though it it basically has this terrible ending, but it's cute because their, their chemistry is so good. And I'm not usually the type of person that like is, you know, and what's great about that is because they weren't in a relationship, you know, like this is the beginning of it. Hmm. You know, whereas, you know, like, I don't know, people talk about like, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or something is like, oh, the chemistry. And you're like, well, whatever. That's like, the
1: the getaway. Uh, Ali McGraw and Steve McQueen met making the getaway. Yeah. So you can watch it and be like, ah, oh, you guys like each other.
0: You see it. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what's interesting. And slogan like, I mean, it ends. I, I really liked slogan because it's about a guy who leaves his wife for the hot young thing that he meets. And then after he gets her, he realizes she's a fucking teenager and he can't deal with it. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, it's kind of, and there's some, you know, slight, uh, you know, hitting of women, but like, uh, for the most part, I think it, it's a sort of damning movie about surge, you know? So it's actually kind of interesting in a way, even though Jane Birkin's character is so like unrealistic. She's just, she's such a teenage girl to the point where I sh- even a teenage girl wouldn't act like this. Like mm. she's just so over the top, like ridiculous. But it still works, and she's so good looking. So that's like a movie I actually would almost recommend for <laughs> Valentine's Day. Right. You know, like an art house pick. You know, like it was, it was cute. It was funny. It had some really laugh out loud moments. Like he's walking her, he's walking Jane Birkin around to. Uh, he throws a party after he left his wife, and he keeps walking around. He goes, "Hello, this is this is my little home wrecker," <laughs> <laughs> and like and then like walks away, and she's like looks like she's like can't believe he's doing this, and he's like, "Oh yes, hello, this is my little home wrecker." Oh, that was my mom by the way, and keeps walking. <laughs> it was great.
2: To keep it uh foreign, I'm gonna go over to Italy and I'm gonna say marriage Italian style, the the Sika film with Sophia Loren, Marcello Mastriani. Uh what a horrible title. Horrible title, brilliant film, one of my favorite films actually, and uh really good pick for Valentine's Day because it's just it's very, very romantic in like a insistently romantic way. It's basically about her trying to get Mastriani to settle down with her and marry her. And it's about this like a really, 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 really long romantic relationship between the two of them where she's, she's trying over years and years and years to finally get him to fucking marry her. And uh, it's told beautifully and they go into, you know, why she's actually trying to do this and you get like a lot of three dimensionality to it. It's not just like she just arbitrarily wants it. And, uh, you know, all their films together, they have that great chemistry and it's probably best here and, uh, definitely worth checking out. It's a feel good, but there's emotional, sad stuff. And in general, you know, it's just a good Valentine's day pick. Let me throw one out there. The 40 year old virgin. Yeah. Now that's a real good movie. It's a good movie.
0: Right. I like the poster better than the film, but it wasn't a bad movie. God,
1: we are not on the ball today. (laughs) I love that movie. That is a wonderful movie. It's super funny, super sweet, very like honest romance and like a middle-aged romance which you don't get a lot of. When you do, you got to sort of cling to them. I really like the 40-year-old version. I like the whole, I like the whole thing. Like a movie like that, I think it's so easy to make Catherine Keener's character like either an idiot or like somebody real like doe-eyed. But she, she's just, like, a great character in that. She understands that he's this big, dopey 40-year-old virgin. Pretty on board with it because, as the movie shows us, he's a really good guy. But, like, you know, not taking any of the weird shit he does. You know, like, she, there's something very honest about her character. Yeah. And the way she's trying to box up the toys for him to sell him. And then they have this whole thing where she's like, I'm not trying to make you do this.
2: Tell me if you don't want to do it. Like, it's just... It, a very, like, real argument. She gets to do a lot more than usually the uh, yeah. the female lead gets to do in those kinds of movies. Yeah.
1: And that's just one of those, like, very rare, real-feeling arguments in a romantic oh, yeah. comedy. Absolutely. And another one along those lines, which I talk about a lot because I fucking love it, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I think, is one of the, the greats of the past 10 years or so.
2: Those might be like top two uh, Apatow productions as far as uh, Probably, the best yeah. ones. And I mean, I love Super Bad too. I would put those three kind of. I never really got into Super Bad. No. Nah.
0: I liked Super Bad.
2: Yeah, we're not on the same ball today, are we? <laughs>
1: this you know, is going to end in like a, like a big fucking knife fight between us.
0: Yeah, you know, for <laughs> Valentine's Day, a knife fight. I think my comedy picks would be uh, The Jerk is one that is way more romantic than classic people remember Classic
1: Jenna it. pick. You should have a TM every time
2: you say that. Yeah,
0: I know. I know this is a classic one. But here's here's my other real pick is uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Mm. That's a really good- That's
2: it, not a romance.
0: Sure. he has. He's there, number one, there's the romance between him and the bike.
2: Okay. On that, I'll give you that. Then I'll there's give you him that. and Dottie. That man loves that bike. Oh yeah,
0: him and Dottie, man.
2: Yeah, but that's a that's like a joke romance. No, it's like, a that's, great romance. A romance, really? That's like one of the great movie romances. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's you know, it's like what two scenes?
1: I'll put Pee Wee in one of the great movie any category that's open. You know, like anywhere where there's a slot,
2: I'll I'll throw that one in. Hey, that's I'm fine. all I'm all for that. I think you know, along those lines, I think Big Top Pee Wee is actually more of a romance than yeah <laughs> I didn't make that up. BTPW. I did make that up. And uh,
1: hashtag BTPW. <laughs> but um, yeah, you B- want to talk w- about stressfully
2: hot? PW and BTPW. <laughs> gorgeous. Yeah. Um. But actually, stressfully hot. Uh, uh, her name escapes me, but she was in Hot Shots and Hot Shots too. And Charlie Sheen. Big, <laughs> big top Wee. She's the cute little uh, Italian love interest. Check. Yes, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, gorgeous woman in uh, Big Top Pee Wee, and uh, you know both his his love interests in that movie. There's the blonde, there's the brunette. It's it's really funny romance stuff in that one, more so than than uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> as much as you want to insist it, I can't. I'm I,
0: insisting. All right, here's another one. This is a, this is another Jenna T M pick. Is the Baxter?
2: Oh yeah, which I oh, love. Big time. Classic Jenna pick.
0: And then they came together. Actually, would be that would be my real Valentine's Day specific pick.
2: That's like a good double feature too. You oh know? totally. Watch Baxter, then watch the other, or watch the other, and then well, don't watch the other. Don't watch the Nicole Kidman <laughs> horror film. That movie I mean, is awesome. Watch the others for Valentine's Day. That was right. a great movie. Okay, It was very scary. Triple feature the others. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They came together and the
0: Baxter. I think my favorite line of the Baxter is when Marino runs up and he's like, Hey, remember me from Semester at Sea? That's it.
2: <laughs> that's your favorite line? It's always those little lines that'll yeah. like stick just, in your head, right? Well that's a, that's true with a lot of David Wayne stuff, is like there's these tiny microscopic lines that just those are like
0: I feel and like the Show only Walter true lines him. in a
2: movie. Joe yeah.
0: Walter kicks him away. It's great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, now I remember the part you talk about That's a great part But also I love the fact that his friends are named Stella and Ed in Oh the, yeah uh, yeah totally That's a good Because uh, if you're listening at home and you're like what There was the show Stella and there was the show Ed And both had Michael Ian Black on it And so he's Ed Are you talking about Ed, Ed and Eddie? No I'm talking about the Ed, the, the TV show that's still not on fucking DVD Which I would love to get if I could But you remember when he said Were there three brothers one was named Ed,
1: and then one was named Ed with two D's, and then another no. was Eddie.
2: No, this, I think it was on CBS. It was uh, the, the lawyer who owns a bowling alley, remember? In the small town. <laughs> this was
0: like the most 90s that show. That was actually
2: shot in the town I went to high school in. Nice. And it, it's never
0: the been. The bowling
1: un- alley is the Montvale Lanes. Fuck yeah. It's by is. the Pascac Hills.
2: And, you guys uh, want to go see? I would love to. I would love to make a pilgrimage Ed, to the Ed, the Ed Bowling Alley. But uh, it's never been on DVD because it's all tied up with Wright stuff. But that's a good show. Yeah, because they there was a real snuff film in the end. Oh, yeah. That was what did it. Well, they it, This is my big misinformation episode. I feel <laughs> <like>. <laughs> if you're listening at home and you're confused, uh, it's John D'Amico's fault.
0: Yeah, it's, it's because of John.
2: But it was famous. The
1: last three episodes of Ed was they did a real snuff film and the FBI was on their tail.
2: Well, it was the first show to actually kill off all of its yeah characters. like whenever anybody left
1: yeah they would actually kill the actor yeah. which is why everybody really clung to those contracts because oh yeah you know it wasn't like uh homicide where everybody was walking every well they two changed seasons. the rules now now
2: you can't do shit like yeah, that. yeah now you can't murder but the cast this was the freewheel and certainly not on film I mean actors were a dime a dozen
0: yeah the freewheeling WB 90s right yeah <laughs> you
2: yeah. it was a bloodbath <laughs>
1: What do you think? None of those shows ever came back.
0: Right after seven heaven, bath. yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Another uh, '90s pick, by the way. I just want to throw this out there: as like, if you're, you know, if you're with somebody and maybe they have very predictable, boring taste in movies, and you can't get them to watch anything a little outside of the box or whatever, uh, and you got to pick something formulaic and something they've seen a hundred times before, you could do worse than watching The Wedding Singer. You know, it's pretty fucking tolerable as far as that shit goes. To be honest, I'd rather watch a snuff film. Really? You don't like Wedding Singer?
1: I do not like Adam Sandler. Uh, I can't look at his face. I I can't hear his voice.
2: I can look at his face. I I stand alone, I think, in the under 30s with this one. Maybe even the under 40s. Some of his stuff really works for me, you know? And uh, Wedding Singer, I think it just works. I think it's just you, you really could do worse if you got to watch something predictable and, and uh, mainstream and boring because your significant other, as much as you love them, they just have very boring taste in movies. You really could do worse than Wedding Singer. We're going to take a quick break. and We'll be back with more Valentine's picks. See you soon.
1: Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. 7183959711 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name and we may play it on the future episode. Thank you for listening and now back to the show.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the Smug Film Podcast is brought to you by Jay Brunner at Bobby Slow on Twitter. That's the name Bobby and the word slow. Follow this guy on Twitter. He supports us on Patreon. Good man. Good tweets. If you like funny things, if you like people that exist, he's certainly one of them. So uh, check out his stuff. Follow that man. Enjoy yourself while doing so. Also, if you haven't checked out Minor Key Games, do yourself a favor and do that. Minorkeygames.com. Great computer games. Cheap, too. They're always doing some sort of sale on there. I love their games. Super win the game, Eldritch, you have to win the game, Neon Struct. These are good games, folks. They're made by Dave and Kyle Pittman, and they support the show via Patreon. And you should check out their stuff. MinorKeyGames.com. Now our other sponsor is of course Rick Harper. Room full of spoons. His upcoming documentary on the movie The Room. Find out all about it at roomfulofspoons.com. He talked to damn near everybody who had something to do with the room. It's amazing the work that he put into this and his crew. You've heard him on the podcast. He's been on a couple times. He's a great guy. He's supporting this show. So check out roomfulofspoons.com. And now back to the show. And we are back. And uh, John D'Amico has got a pick. What do you got for us? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was still thinking about Hitler. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Can we get hashtag true Hitler facts for John D'Amico? We had a now? whole... We weren't recording.
2: They don't know what we're no, talking about. We had a whole about. big they Hitler fight. Know. You guys missed it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my pick
1: is Holiday with Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. doesn't have anything to do with Hitler. He's, uh, you know, he's like a rags-to-riches guy who's about to marry this very traditional rich woman and then he falls in love with Cap- Catherine Hepburn who's this sort of, like, free spirit. It's really... Wonderful little movie. It's uh, It gets sort of forgotten under the weight of Bringing Up Baby, which mm. was a year later. and Which is fun. Which yeah, is I mean, great. I love Bringing Up Baby. Yeah. I love Bringing Up Baby. But I figure most of the people in the mood for uh, one of these have seen Bringing Up Baby. Yeah. So if you've seen it and are like, you know, yeah, I could do another one of those. Holiday is sort of the forgotten uh, other one. And Holiday is cool because um, not a lot of people know this, but Cary Grant was an acrobat before mm. he was an actor. He was an acrobat. And, um, that sounds,
2: that's like a nineties, like animated, like <laughs> yeah. show on Cartoon Network where it's like three guys in different colored, uh, super suits or the actual yeah, they bats. Solve crimes constantly on high wires, It's like the centurions or uh, whatever that one was called. Bunch of nerds. Hmm.
1: But yeah. Uh, and this is the one where you can like see that, like he has a big prat fall in it and it's like one of like the great gymnastics moves on film, his prat fall. And wow. there's like little bits in it where he's, um. You can see, you'd be like, oh, yeah, he was an acrobat. I could go for one of those. I, I could be in the mood for that kind of film. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a crackling little one. Crackling little chemistry. picture.
0: All their movies are good. Yeah,
1: they really do. And they're both just so much fun to watch.
0: Right, yeah. Maybe in that vein, too, actually. I, um, I love the movie How to Steal a Million, which is oh, actually yeah. a cute little romance movie. And I would actually recommend like that, that genuinely for Valentine's Day. Because that's Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn.
1: Talk about two people it's just nice to see.
0: Yes, they are. The, she has some uh, beautiful outfits, and she's beautiful. Uh, he has beautiful outfits, and he's beautiful. Stressfully
1: hot hashtag two of them. Yeah,
0: the two of them. Yeah, and then it's they're writing
1: the paper on being stressfully hot.
0: <laughs> it's like a cute little heist movie of, that, like you know, like ends in romance. So, like it, it's actually, but it's a lot of fun. It's really charming. They're so good looking that there's no reason why you wouldn't want to see it. Have you seen Trouble in Paradise?
1: The Lubitsch one about the uh, two. Pickpocket and The Jewel Thief Who Fall in Love?
0: No. Yeah, I think good. you would love it.
1: Yeah. I'll check it I out. I like that premise. Yeah, that's that's a hot pick, hot flick. But yeah, Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn are both so attractive that like there are times where you think that they're special effects. <laughs> I think it's like the mark of being s- stressfully hot. Mm. Or sometimes Audrey Hepburn will be on screen, or especially in Lawrence of Arabia, when Peter O'Toole is just like staring out at the desert and you're thinking, that's digital. That's not a real guy's <laughs> face.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with that. And then actually, I mean, like, even to, to stay in the sort of vein of, like, the, you know, classic Hollywood flicks, I mean, Singing in the Rain is a really cute romance. Yeah. Uh, cute. And any and musicals, I mean, like, this is the time. Valentine's Day is the goddamn time to watch musicals. <laughs> and you will be shocked at how much fun they are and how, like, lighthearted and just, like, I don't know, like, it, it makes you feel that, like, cartoony Valentine's Day love. Like, I think. Watching Unless you calls. watch
2: Oklahoma and it's so bad that you want to join ISIS <laughs> oh God. in the <laughs> Please, please uh, elaborate on that. Because for those of you who saw John D'Amico's tweets while he was watching Oklahoma, it was very... I had a lot of trouble with Oklahoma. It was almost hard to read your tweets because I, I could feel the pain you were going through. Oklahoma, yeah, was like a
1: 20-year prison sentence. Mm. And the bitch about Oklahoma is that it's so beautifully shot... You know, it's it's almost like the 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 final insult to the whole thing. Is it was the first seventy millimeter movie, which is why I wanted to watch it because like cool, see what that's like. Yeah. And it's this huge, beautiful look at the planes, and it's just you wanna carve your face off like <laughs> silence of the lambs. <laughs> mm. It is so bad.
0: Oklahoma I can't okay. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> that's how I felt. I was telling John that's how I felt about when I watched Paint My Wa- Paint Your Wagon. It was the most Oh my God, the worst. And I love musicals. I, you know, like I was, I was ready and I, and actually that movie has some, it has like maybe one good song, which is they call the "Win" Mariah, but that movie I watched, it felt like a four hour film. The screen yeah. fades to black and I was like, thank God. And then it fades to blue. Then it comes back up. And then it says intermission and I wanted to die. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> the hardest part of a bad movie with an intermission is when the intermission comes and you're like,
0: Take me now. You know,
1: like I saw the, <laughs> the light at the end of the tunnel turned out to be a train. That <laughs> feeling.
0: <laughs> that, yeah. That's perfectly it. Yeah. But I would say for, for fun musicals for Valentine's day, I love guys and dolls is one of my favorite musicals. And the movie version is actually pretty good. Um, you know, it says Frank Sinatra and it has, um, Marlon Brando, who's actually surprisingly not, he's not a great singer, but he's not bad. He, he does sort of, he doesn't weigh the thing down, which you might expect. Um, <laughs>
2: That's the one about the guys with the, the by the, the sex dolls, the real dolls, right? <laughs> what? Yeah, guys no, he's dolls? right. He's right.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then the last hour is just the sex doll orgy. Yeah. And they're all singing, but mostly you're just hearing the squeak of skin on the plastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Guys and Dolls. Okay.
2: Then I have seen that one. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then the other thing. Long
2: movie. <laughs> yeah. Long movie. Yeah. Some would say, you know, could have been trimmed down, but. It pushes some boundaries, certainly. Mm -hmm.
0: I would say For Me and My Gal is another good one. Because that has Judy Garland and Gene Kelly. Well, that you just
1: made up. That's not a real title. I've never heard of that one.
0: Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's such a good, it's a cute musical. It has Judy Garland and Gene Kelly and they are in love. What do you want? How didn't they hear
2: about this? You got to see it. It's cute. How didn't they hear about this? How didn't they hear about this?
0: Came out in 42. That is me. A bit early, I guess. You weren't awake.
2: (laughs) I wasn't alive.
1: (laughs) Let alone awake. I could get in on that. Is it long? Because my thing with musicals is they're usually long.
0: I mean... Because, I- like, you
1: got to watch a movie and then, like, a rock opera in the middle of the
2: movie. And that's a lot to ask of anybody.
0: I think it's about two hours.
2: All right. I'll take it. I'm going to kind of lightening around this a little bit and uh, just mention three Albert Brooks movies, which, uh, you know, if you haven't ventured into Albert Brooks or if you have, they're worth re-watching. They're very watchable. I would go Modern Romance, which is kind of the more down on romance of the three uh so if you're looking for something like that on valentine's day that's a good choice and also of course defending your life and uh i think basically my favorite albert brooks is lost in america really solid romantic comedy you get the you get some bickering you know there's bickering along the way but uh famously scored by alice cooper yeah no no he has that song does he
1: You've never heard yeah, Lost in America?
2: By, yeah, that joke, I guess, blew by. Oh, yeah.
1: We don't have big Alice Cooper
2: crowd here, That was I guess. like a mystery science theater joke. <laughs> that was the kind of one you hear and then you got to look up later.
1: Good song. I'm sure Let's it is. Let's play 20 I'll-
2: seconds of Lost in America for everybody here. <laughs> okay, cut back. Now we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Lost in America, great pick. Defending your life is usually that's like the that's the favorite. Everybody's always like defending your life I is the best one, and life. it's it's fantastic. But I give the edge to uh, Lost in America. But uh, I think those three you could probably blow through all of them in a day, even. So that's your favorite, Stone Cold Albert Brooks, Lost in America. Lost in
1: America, yeah. I'll have to watch it. I haven't seen it. I do know the song though, which now all of you know. Yeah,
2: and uh, it's a it's Julie Haggerty is his love interest in it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Which I mean, she's always fucking good. She's great in anything. He's got a real bulletproof run. He doesn't get enough credit for it. Oh Robert yeah, Brooks. Oh, incredible filmography. And his book is good too. Uh, twenty thirty kind of takes place in the near future, and it's a uh, it centers around like uh, the president during uh, twenty thirty, and like a bunch of other characters as well. It's a very interesting uh, kind of a departure, but there's that kind of Albert Brooks humor to it. Throughout, like peppered through.
1: I could get in on that. That made me think of Tech
2: Wars, the William Shatner books. Very And everybody loves Tech Wars. (laughs) I was thinking about Tech Wars the other day. (laughs) Sometimes I like I've never read it. I don't even know what it's about, but I the name Tech Wars and his face.
1: I've never read it, but I feel like I have a very firm vision of what's inside those books. Doesn't they,
2: they have like a there's a picture of him that's either on the back or the front of Tech Wars that's like ingrained in my mind because is he
1: like sort of looking over his
2: shoulder yeah he's got like arms like crossed. Yeah. yeah he's like kind of a little, little bit you get, you get some shoulder it's not when he's old but it's when he's like older so it's yeah. a little puffy faced for the for the Shatner shoulder aficionados you yeah can, you can do worse than a Tech Wars cover or back I don't know it's which when he it started
1: was. to get his little Santa Claus nose a little yeah. bit you know <laughs> like he, the age started to show in his nose well it was like Rescue 911 kind of era yeah yeah I don't know if that was in Tech Wars continuity, Rescue 911. (laughs) I don't think so. I hope
2: somebody will call in and let us know. I would love a voicemail of someone just explaining the plot of Tech Wars to me, or just like a (laughs) cursory explanation of what it's even about. Yeah. I would adore that. That would be a hell of a voicemail. Please leave that. 718-395-9711. I want to hear about Tech Wars. That's the Tech Wars hotline, everybody. Yeah. And ah. I don't care if you're not a fan and you just go on Wiki and you just read it off of there. That's fine. I just want somebody to call in and tell me what Tech Wars is all about. No, I want the <gasps> Tech Wars dudes. I want the ride or die Tech Warriors. I hope they're out there. I hope we have some fans that are big into Tech Wars. I, I, you, I got faith.
0: You got to like post on like some slash Reddit Tech Warriors. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Tech Boys with a Z. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what the crossover is between smug film people and Tech Wars people, but we will soon find out.
0: It's got to be 100%. Yeah. All right,
2: I'm going to make a pick now. Go for it. So just deal with it.
1: I'm going to pick the 1932 Frank Borzaghi version of A Farewell to Arms because I got Hemingway in my head now because we're talking about Ah. To Have and Have Not. Mm. Uh, Farewell to Arms, I, I love. It's... Probably my favorite of Hemingway's novels, but like that's not to say that I don't have. That's the Hen and one where they just cut off women's arms. Uh, yes, yes, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. yeah, uh, it's also a snuff film. Okay. Uh, about seven or eight people died, but no, it's actually That's my
0: favorite book too. So we finally found some common. All right,
1: this is this is the good ending for us then.
0: <laughs> but how? Explain how you think that's a romantic movie.
1: <laughs> well, here's the thing: it's not a romantic book. It's a pretty hard-hearted book about um a soldier, a wounded soldier falls in love with an ambulance driver. And you don't really... In the book, you never get inside her head. You never really understand her. And you never really understand their romance. But he was such a good director. And he was such a good director specifically of romance that, like, almost without changing a word of the script, he just sort of weaves it a little bit. And it becomes this beautiful, really, like, sexy romance about these two people in the middle of a war. Hmm. Um, and it's it's... Gary Cooper, like one of his first roles, and it's Helen Hayes who, you know, she was so good they named a theater after her. So it's these two top-of-their-game actors, and they have just unbelievable magnetic chemistry. It's World War I the way they could only do, you know, only that generation could ever do World War I, right? Where it looked like surrealism. And it's a mixture of that kind of like hard-edged surrealism of the the post-war World War I vision, but also with that beautiful Hollywood lighting. It was the, the movie that invented um butterfly lighting mm. which is that technique of lighting where uh, it's called butterfly lighting because the only shadow you're left with on the face looks like a little butterfly under the bridge of somebody's nose right and it's it's probably the most like lush and operatic look of american film that that golden age romance lighting and this was the movie that it was invented for and it's just just a beautiful little production See, Um, this is
0: where we're going to differ again. I remember watching that and being disappointed with it because it wasn't like the book, but you're actually making me want to revisit it and being more open-minded about it. It's in
1: public domain, so I actually did a commentary for it on YouTube.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Remember back
1: when I was doing that before we had the show? I'm going to start doing that again. We'll put a link of that on the uh, episode.
0: um, Hope you just talk about Hitler Hitler the whole time. Beautiful, beautiful.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you got to figure Hitler's there somewhere in the trenches. He's there. Wasn't he a runner? Wasn't he like a message runner? Because then he got injured when he was running a message or something.
0: Who didn't run a message in those trenches?
1: Yeah, I feel like that was all they did.
0: All they did. Just
2: ran messages and then drew Kilroy on stuff. Well, it was before they had, (laughs) you know, Facebook and email. No, it wasn't. They had to to run their messages. No, they had email. They had email? Not Facebook, though.
1: No, I mean, they had the early Facebook when it was, you had to have a college email
2: address to get in. Right, yes. And when it was called The Facebook. Yeah. Yeah.
1: By the second war, you had full Facebook. Facebook as we know it Yeah, right but now. that was when you had the bumper stickers and all that stupid stuff. Yeah. Vietnam was when they invented Messenger, and then, you know, that's when it sort of becomes the Facebook we know. Right, right, right. Yeah,
0: Mein Kampf, that's why it's half in all caps, because it was just like on his wall.
2: Yeah, a lot of emojis. Yeah. Well, he used Didn't to get po- as many likes as you would think. Hitler posted a lot of notes on on Facebook. Like, yeah. His- you know, there there was like the status like character limit, so right, you had to post right. it as notes. So a lot of his stuff was just notes stuff. And yeah, he, and he had all his super depressing Nietzsche quotes as his AOL away message mm-hmm.
1: until you know maybe two thousand five when everybody stopped doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they were the one capitalized and then one uncapitalized letter in a row. Well, he had
2: the deviant art. I don't know if you noticed, but earlier yeah, on, yeah. he had a great deviant art. Like there was actually good stuff on there, and he was like pretty active in the community. But um, you know, I, it, he just stopped doing it. That he just reminds updating, me. Hitler stopped op- updating his DeviantArt. That may have been the beginning of the end. Yeah,
0: I, I heard a rumor that he had a zanga, but but he but like he deleted it, so no one ever found it. Really, I know. I really I want to find Hitler's yeah, yeah, zanga, yeah. like super bad.
1: That's the next
2: Indiana Jones. <laughs> I knew he- <laughs> for Hitler's zanga. <laughs> well, I knew he had a dead journal.
0: Oh, of course, Cause, yeah.
2: Yeah, because he didn't, he didn't like was, live journaling. Like I think that was journal. like Mindcamp,
0: It was half dead journal, half well, Facebook. Well, it was
2: a lot of his old dead journal ent- yeah, entries.
0: just like copy and paste.
2: Yeah. All right. Anyhow, so, anyway. <laughs>
0: so Valentine's Day.
2: Valentine's Day. Uh, I got two that go hand in hand because I've had really good sex after watching both of them. And that would be...
0: Pink th- Narcissus, which is one of my... <laughs> my
2: is it Salo? It's... Uh, Cannibal Holocaust? The Dreamers <laughs> and Secretary. I oh, watched yeah, Secretary. I watched those two films on Valentine's Day with my Valentine at the time of, uh, you know, whatever. Same,
0: same girl both times.
2: No, different girl. It was oh, Hitler, right. but really good sex afterwards both times. And it was just like they're the kind of they're sexy in the right way. You know, they're not like uh, cheesy sexy. They're like sexy and like uh, pull you guys closer as you're watching it kind of thing. And uh, I think they go hand in hand. They're coy. They're both like really just good movies too, you know. Secretary's good, Dreamers good, solid picks. So uh, if you if you are in the mood for quality lovemaking, <laughs> throw on <laughs> throw on one of those, and uh, you could do uh, you could do worse than uh, have good sex after watching those films.
0: See, I'm gonna go for my lightning round stuff that will make you one movie that will make you believe in love, and then one movie that'll make you want to kill yourself. Oh Jesus. So Dogfight, which I've also mentioned multiple times, but I I feel like I have to bring it up. It's a good good, good Valentine's Day movie. Dogfight's
2: fucking phenomenal. And if you haven't seen it yet, you you don't have an excuse anymore because now it's on Warner Archive. Says the the guy who hasn't seen Casablanca. Oh, right. But this
0: this movie, I mean, for a movie that came out in 91, it has none of that bullshit. It has River Phoenix like doing his thing. Early
1: 90s had some really good honest romance
0: yeah this was this movie is it's like power it will make you cry but in a good way and then the movie that'll make you cry in in like also a good way but a more like weeping sobbing way is brief encounter yeah so if you're like if you was are, that your kill yourself pick Brief yeah encounter? yeah because if you're already like miserable or you're like so if this is my if you're single on valentine's day and you want to wallow
2: oh <laughs> uh, we're gonna have a death count after this episode <laughs>
0: Like, that's going to be a good movie if you aren't really want, like, all of the emotions to come up and, like, vomit them all out. It might be cathartic.
2: Brief Encounter, probably, I've, st- I've said this before, but probably my favorite use of voiceover in oh, a yeah. film ever.
1: Also, check out the remake of it that's still sort of lingering in theaters, Carol, which I maintain is not quite as good as the, the ride-or-die Carol people say, but, like, it's pretty good. I'm
0: hearing so many mixed things about Carol. I'm very interested. I think, I
1: think what's happening is what happened to me, which is that like the, the pro Carol camp was so aggressively into it that, you know, like a lot of people, by the time they got to it, they were expecting something that it couldn't possibly deliver.
0: I'm, but I'm hearing from like, from like, like, um, the whole like LGBT side of things like that people aren't into it. And I'm wondering if maybe this is like some sort of beautiful straight vision. I don't know. I never got that. I mean, it's that they very didn't straightforward didn't believe the chemistry, it. that it was sort of unrealistic and all this sort of I, stuff. But... I
1: didn't feel that at all. I mean- I'm uh, curious now. If it, it was so straightforward. I wouldn't, I'd, I don't know what would be the um, objection. Because hmm. the best thing about it really is that it's a straightforward romance that you buy that's interrupted by society not buying it. Hmm. That, that was
0: a good pitch for it. Now I want to see it. That
1: is a good pitch. Yeah, I mean, it's no Brief Encounter. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's as good as Brief Encounter, because it is not as good as Brief Encounter. Brief Encounter is next level. Yeah. Brief Encounter is probably like my number two under Casablanca and the whole whole realm. Uh, my number three, by the way, is probably The Apartment, which I feel like we also haven't really ever discussed. I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go. John's having palpitations. and The Apartment is lovely. The Apartment, I think, is the best Billy Wilder movie, um, who I usually actually have sort of like a mixed thing with. Of all the acknowledged great golden age directors, Billy Wilder is the one that I feel like I don't click with as much as everybody else. Do you uh, like some like it hot? I don't love it. I, I love it. It's
0: oh I like it's cute.
1: It's cute, but it doesn't do it for me. And um double indemnity doesn't really click with me. That one I agree with you on. Yeah like I have nothing against either of them but you know they're not like front runners for me. But the apartment is absolutely I think it's just a, a wonderful honest lovely beautifully shot Beautiful look at New York. One of the best New York films, I think, and so like raw for its time. The whole premise is that this guy he has a he has a nice apartment that he that's close to the office that he doesn't share with anybody. So all the bosses use it to um, have their affairs, mm. and he falls in love with the elevator girl in his building. And um, I don't want to spoil it, but it's uh, it's it's a wonderful movie. And that sequence in Almost Famous where she takes all the quaaludes and they're trying to pump her stomach is a big homage to a a very similar sequence in the apartment Hmm. because it's, I think Cameron Crowe's favorite movie and, and the sort of lightness of the interaction without losing the weight of the relationship. I don't know if that makes any sense that you get in almost famous. Hmm. You can see sort of being authored in uh, the apartment. Tremendous movie. Just, it's so funny too. And
2: it's so well acted. It's uh. It's just an unbelievable little movie. Yeah, maybe I'll put that on my list uh, right under Casablanca as far as movies I need to fucking see. Yeah, you should probably do that. It's Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, and they're just so funny. Mm.
1: They're both so good. I I love Jack Lemmon. He's, I think, without doubt, the best I've ever seen him in this movie. mm.
0: If you're in a relationship and you think it's like ending, because this is like the prime time for breaking up. Uh Uh-oh. Just so you guys know, right after Valentine's Day. But if like you, if you're the one who's like, I I think I kind of want it to end and you're like, I don't know what to do for Valentine's Day. Be like, oh, I heard about this movie. Let's watch it. I think it's about like a romantic couple or something. The one I love, Charlie McDowell movie that came out a couple of years ago, maybe last year with Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss.
1: I liked that one. It was like a Twilight Zone.
0: Yeah, I liked it too. But it's like a great, it's a good breakup movie. Because it's yeah, uh, basically about putting you in because you can only have the conversation afterwards of like, what would you do in that situation? It's this kind of weird sci-fi. It's like this couple that already is uh, thinking about divorcing. And then they end up at this uh, like retreat where they say like, we'll save your relationship 100% guaranteed. And what kind of starts to happen is that when one leaves the room, when one, like, you know, when, when either of them are left alone in, in this one house, the idealized dream version of their spouse comes down and starts like talking to them. And they're like, wait, weren't you in the other? Didn't you just leave? And they're like, no, I've been right here the whole time. And like, you know, it's everything they want that person wow, to that be. That
2: sounds interesting. Yeah, that's really good. And it's super short. It's like a quick, it's you know, short. 85, 90 minutes.
0: It's a little creepy.
2: I yeah. typically avoid anything with Duplass, but that one sounds up my alley.
0: It's Charlie McDowell. Who's M- Malcolm McDowell's son. Hmm. Uh, and he actually seemed he he, had he played
2: a, Malcolm in the middle.
0: He played Malcolm in the middle. He had a good Twitter for a while called the girls that live upstairs or something like that, where he sort of was just posting overheard things that like the the ditzy girls that lived above him in his apartment said. And so, like, I that knew sounds about, like a
2: premise to a movie in and of itself. He
0: probably is working on it. You know, I'll, it's I'll a good honest. premise
1: to a movie, the creepy dude who's recording everything you say in your apartment under you and posting it to Twitter.
0: <laughs> well, I think that, that he started to become a little self-aware about the two because it started to really take off. But so, like, I kind of knew about what he was doing on the side, and and I, he does have a good sense of humor. And I thought that this movie had like a good; it was a good mix of like the kind of creepiness you get from Malcolm McDowell movies, but also like a good sense of humor. Right. And then, like an it really interesting reminded sci-fi me
1: of a Twilight Zone, like it, yeah. it. not just in the in the structural terms, but like the feel of it. That sort of like creepiness of like trying to race to figure out what's happening right. in the first act, like really, it, it hit that vibe very well for me. I yeah. will check that one out.
0: It's a good one if you want to break up go watch it.
1: <laughs> wonderful performances too, because I mean, Elizabeth Moss
2: is she's unbelievable.
0: She's always unbelievable. Yeah. She's great.
2: I got to pick a uh, Eric Schaefer film and most of his filmography kind of works for Valentine's day actually. But uh, in particular, I would say never again, which is uh, the Jeffrey Tambor, uh, Jill Kleber, RIP film. And it's, it's one of those very rare romances where it's two people in their like fifties getting together and uh, fallen in love really lighthearted but also tackles very real um, difficulties as far as any relationship goes whether you're that age or you're younger just insecurities about you know falling for somebody and how vulnerable it is to do that really really good one I've watched that on Valentine's Day and it's it's always been the right vibe it's just like a good vibe for that and uh, one that's a kind of campier and on paper darker that I think everybody should see. And this is a film that Greg DeLiso turned me on to, which is Obsessed, the uh, Aegis Elba, Beyoncé, Ali Larder, Jerry O'Connell film where uh, Aegis Elba is getting like seduced by Ali Larder at his job and uh, Beyoncé is like, you know, trying to steer him away from her. and uh, That happened to me once. Yeah, at a party. Yeah. yeah,
0: Beyonce was like, "John, don't do it."
2: Well, I saw based on yeah. it was based on a true story, and yeah, it was my true oh, okay. story. Okay,
1: it was a New Year's Eve party, and Ali Larter and Beyonce were fighting. And I was like,
2: "Ladies, one at a time." Yeah, or nice. two at a time. Yeah, but they that ended it. That was the end of yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, if you could go back and not say that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's not in my nature, though. Yeah, but uh, very fun, very good movie. Beyonce has really good weaves in it. She like goes through like three or four. She always
0: has good weaves. That's the only thing Beyonce got. I have to say
2: the weaves in that movie. That's the only thing Beyonce got. Yeah. And good weaves. Next and level. Good
1: looks. Next level. Those weaves in that film. So you're saying that Beyonce, the, the only gift she was graced with in this world was good weaves. <laughs> she has better weaves than damn Is that what I'm anybody. hearing?
0: And good looks. She's very, very, she's uncomfortably attractive. She's- so that's it for her. I don't think she's a good singer. In the singer. whole world,
1: that's what she got.
0: I don't think she's a good singer. I don't like any of her songs.
2: I don't like her much either. But she's good in the movie. She's got some great songs, and she has some great business sense. Also, great weaves. Great weaves to the point where it's almost I'm like very pro Beyonce. Maybe she even did the film just so she could try out some weaves, <laughs> like because a lot of the film she's just like on a phone, like talking to Idris Elba. So it's like it's basically like she's trying on fun new weaves, and she gets to just sit and like talking to a phone and. And that's her day, and she probably shot it all in one day, and she got to wear a bunch of different weaves. And
0: it's a pain in the ass to put on weaves, though. Like that's yeah.
2: So maybe she didn't do it all in one day. Maybe she did it
0: unless she's just wearing wigs. But you know, like that's fair too.
2: Well, if it's wigs, if it's weaves, the point is they look damn good in this film. That's and valid. Uh, I have like a a deep cut pick that I want to close this out on. So if you guys got anything else, you got one, John. Yeah, go for it. All right, I got um. This is a movie that
1: Orson Welles said would make a stone cry. Mm -mm. This is a movie that um, Martin Scorsese once said that he was getting depressed because he thought he had seen all the great movies that America made in the golden age. And then he saw this one. Oh, shit. And he realized that there were more movies out there. It was gone for a long time. And then it came back because they screened it at Telluride in 2009 because Alexander Payne bought a print off eBay for six dollars. And then it entered the Criterion Collection after that, off the strength of that. Leo McCary's masterpiece, Make Wait for Tomorrow. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, about an elderly couple who, uh, in, the, in the Depression, they, they go uh, broke, and none of their children will take them both in. So for the first time in their married life, they have to split and like live in different places. And it is just... Oh, it's heartbreaking. I've cried from that film. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's unforgettable. Yeah. One of those ones that you love so much you'll never watch it again because, like, I can't go through that again.
2: And the cover on the Criterion, it's like this weird cartoonish cover. Yeah,
1: that's when they were way
2: into doing cartoons and I was not feeling it. It's really not the vibe of the film whatsoever. And, uh, Criterion's cartoon cover phase was not a good look for yeah, them yeah that was some of them are pretty good though. pretty embarrassing well that one in particular I can't think of the other ones off the top of the my Gold head the Gold Rush is maybe the worst one in their entire repertoire Gold Rush is pretty bad
1: the Great Dictator is a shitty one too yeah they have all their Chaplin ones are terrible which by the way the here's New- my other
2: pick all the Chaplin movies all yeah. great romances very good but also the Kid one is a good cover because it's just a shot from the film. yeah that's
1: a they're out of this phase now yeah because the Harold Lloyd stuff all has nice covers too yeah now. But there was that, like, probably, like, maybe 2011,
2: mm-hmm. 2012. Yeah, it's gross... And it a just gross. dropped People, bad People, I mean, as great as the Criterion Collection is, sometimes they do drop the ball on the covers department. Yeah. But, but, uh, but Make, make Way for Tomorrow, Yeah, Fox. the
1: upshot is Make Way for Tomorrow is one of the greatest films uh, ever made, romance or otherwise, mm. in any country, in any era. Just
2: a stunning, stunning film. Yeah. And kind of remade by uh, Ozu with uh, yes. Tokyo Story. Also, one of the absolute greats. So if you've seen one and not the other, definitely see the other one because they're both fantastic. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, both are like top 50
1: all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even think of another set of movies you can put together that, that's, that's
2: that good. Right. Jenny, you got a final one?
0: You know, this is going to be my final pick for Valentine's Day. And it's sort of, uh, it's again, catering maybe to people that aren't looking for something too light and fluffy, but... Uh, if you want like a good movie that's about romance and about the sort of nostalgic or philosophical side of romance, then I suggest that you spend Valentine's Day watching Sherman's March.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sherman's March is <laughs> really good.
0: I love Sherman's March. And it's such a good. I love how raw it is. I love how human it is. And I love how it it really never gets too self-indulgent. It flirts with it because it's a movie, you know, it's a documentary about Uh, a guy who decided he wanted to shoot a documentary about the actual Sherman's March. And then gets completely sidetracked. It's like a, it's a a, a documentary about digression in a lot of ways. He gets completely sidetracked by, he had just broken up with his girlfriend and he's like totally lost, you know, like he, every plan he had is out the window and now he doesn't know what to do. And he keeps sort of meeting these different women and then using his movie camera and documentary stuff as like a way to sort of like rope them in. And so you have this great footage of all these women that he's meeting and dating and like, you don't have to care about his choice in women, uh, to, to, to like the movie, you know, like, cause you kind of just, it, he keeps touching upon like the type of women that like everyone's sort of dated this sort of person, whether or not it's that exact person and that crazy, or they're that, you know, reserved mm-hmm. and, and also anyhow, like, you know, all of his, the conflicting emotions that he has for each of them is so relatable. You know, especially when you're dating people like, you know, you always meet someone and you're like, well, I really like this about them, but I don't like that, you know, or like, what can I live with and what can I live with? Or it's them saying that about you, like, you know, well, he seems nice, but, I you know, like, I'm not into, you know, this certain part of his him. podcast, <laughs> his podcast, but like you snuff know,
2: films,
1: yeah, <laughs> or that he's Hitler. <laughs>
0: What's great about that movie is in the end, it's kind of this loving shrine to humanity. You know, it's like, it's this, he he skirts the egotism and, and he keeps it more about like the, the sort of what's beautiful about looking for love and what's beautiful about love. And there's all this, this great, like, you know, there's this good symbolism in it that happens sort of organically you know, and it gets called out by like, you know, the different women in his life. And, mm. and you know, I just, I, it, it feels like he grew at the end of it, even though he didn't really do anything that he wanted to do. Right. You know, I, and it's like that sort of accident of coming out with something uh, like fantastic, even though you weren't actually setting out to do it.
1: A great one along those lines that I don't know many people have seen is, uh, Alan Zweig's lovable. Um, Zweig in general. I mean, he's really, if you're really like at your, your low ebb, cause you're depressed on, on, uh, Valentine's Day this is the one for you he made a he made a series of documentaries that were all like about him and about his his life and the the one that people remember is the first vinyl, which was about um, being a record collector back in two thousand and um I think because it's such like a, a high concept one it's the one people remember it's the one I actually like the least and he sort of went down the line and just um, started to examine these things about his personality in each one and um the one that's the most heartbreaking and and the most appropriate for this is lovable, which is about how he's like, he was like cruising into 50 years old at the time and he was single. Uh, so what he did was he just like interviewed a whole bunch of different women who were getting older and who were all single. And they just talked about like what that's like and like the, the self doubt and like the worry and the, um, the things you have to do to yourself to, to keep from feeling like you've completely failed. Hmm. And it's very... Um, I mean, it's like...
0: A, it, this sounds really depressing. Yeah, if it gets you at
1: the right <laughs> angle, it's it'll leave you a wreck. That sounds really interesting. Because it's really though. raw. I mean, it is raw as could be. But it's it's sort of beautiful in its way, in, it, in just a, a very honest way. And then afterwards, after that, so you don't fling yourself off a bridge, he made another movie that came out last year called 15 Reasons to Live. And that one's beautiful as well. That's just about... Somebody wrote him a list once of 15 reasons to live because the dude is mad depressed. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it sounds hmm. like it. So he just went through Canada and the United States and found people who had a story for each one of the 15 reasons. And some of them are, like, very small. Like, one of them is about this woman who, um, she was supposed to go on a boat trip with all these people and then everybody canceled except people she didn't know. So she went on the boat with these people she didn't know. And it's just this, like, really nice little story about, like, I mean, the stakes could not be smaller. It was just about, like, this day. She had a really nice time. She took this risk and didn't expect it. And then another one is about, like, these people who did, like, a impromptu, like, hours-long rescue of a whale who was trapped in this netting. Um, And you, like, watch the video of them, like, moment by moment cutting the netting and trying to, like, not get the whale to roll over. So it's, like, a lot of uh, accordion type scale where things will get really small and then really big. And that really sounds small. really good. Yeah, they're great. I, the swag I think is one of uh, Canada's best kept secrets. I
2: don't really know why, but all his documentaries are really, uh, really affecting. I gotta check that out. And uh, I want to close with a very much a deep cut. I've never encountered anybody who's even heard of this film or seen it or anything. Is it Mystic River? It's not Mystic River. <laughs> I
0: was just talking about Mystic but River. It,
2: it was directed. <laughs> it was directed by Nicholas Rogue. Really? Oh, yeah. My, my guy. Nicholas Rogue, who did uh, Don't Look Now, Walk About. Classic Jetta Dude. Is it performance? performance. That's uh, my favorite movie. Man Who Fell to Earth. This is a Nicholas Rogue directed film that is such a fucking deep cut. And I've seen it. And when I tell you the premise, it's going to be like, how do people not know about this movie? It's called Full Body Massage. It Who came out the body massage oh, in the mid 90s. I know this one. You know this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Mimi Rogers Yes. completely naked for pretty much the entire film, and it's just her getting like her breasts massaged and her like butt massaged and like her whole body massaged by this dude. And they just have like philosophical conversations. This is a really good movie. Happening. Yeah. It's actually like a really good movie. No, it genuinely is. Like it's it's very watchable, and the conversations are pretty fucking interesting. Yeah. And it's, but it's the backdrop of these conversations is is basically just her fully nude. Wasn't it like made for? It was made for TV. Yeah, Yeah. I think it was made for Showtime or something. Yeah, uh, I mean it's Mad Skinemax, but it's like you know Nicholas Rogue doing Skinemax. Yeah, and I think it would be a good oddball uh, Valentine's Day choice. So yeah, if you want to watch Mimi Rogers with her. Fantastic body, just getting rubbed down for ninety minutes while philosophical Tremendous performance too. On top of that, yeah, she's these are like these aren't easy lines. Like having deep philosophical, like actual. This is, this is long my dinner range. with
0: Andre with a naked lady. Yes, yes, exactly. It is. Yes, it, it is. actually
2: is that which was my dinner with Andre. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's no puffball, the devil's eyeball. That's all I have to say.
2: But uh, I think it's a, I think it's a great choice, uh, John. You got to see it. I've, I've seen it. <laughs> why do you think i was just talking about it with jenny you you gotta see it what do you think was just happening in that conversation we had i was continuing the the joking oh i get it yeah i get it it now this has been a joke heavy episode so i was continuing that through line but jenny you should you probably actually kind of like it
0: i don't want to see it until john's seen it
2: okay i'm never gonna see it well that's fair never (laughs) seen it never gonna see it he's never heard of it and he's not gonna see it oh
1: can i tell one more story i just remembered about make way for tomorrow Go for it. This one is off the IMDb page, so I can't guarantee it. But even if it's apocryphal, it's a good story. Bernard Tavernier's wife did the the French subtitles for it. And the story goes, they took her like way longer than normal because she kept sobbing in the middle of doing
2: the subtitles. Oh, man. Which is like the definition of that movie. Yeah, that sounds about right for that film. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to watch that a ton of different times, like in a row doing subtitles, I don't know how I would function. Can you imagine being the
1: the idiot they got to just edit that movie? Oh, just God. dumping all that footage into some loser's lap and being like, stare at this for eight months. Oof.
2: Peace, <laughs> loser. Poor guy. Yeah. I, we should look up Rest his... in peace, whoever that was. <laughs> I'm going to look up his name right now. <laughs> all right. It was edited by Leroy
1: Stone.
0: That's, that's not a real guy.
1: You know, if he cried, then maybe that's why Orson Welles said it could make a stone
2: cry.
0: Maybe yeah, yeah. that was his whole thing. It was
1: like an inside joke. There we didn't you even go, know.
2: Orson Wells with his inside jokes with the editor. Crush that. We dude. just solved a puzzle. Yeah. All right, folks. Thank you all for listening. We we wish you a happy Valentine's Day. We love you. We love you. Thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for your continued support. And uh, please,
0: we love you even more.
2: <laughs> you know, have a have a good one. Make it make the most of it. Even if you're not with anybody, just do something fun. Whatever you decide to do. Do it well. Enjoy yourself. Thank you for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye.